following podcast is recorded and produced by the Podcast Precinct in affiliation with the network at BICBP-radio.com. The Podcast Precinct. Consistency. Creativity. Culture. Welcome to Just End the Show, Episode 6, our fourth loser podcast of the year. I guarantee you it will not be the last, uh, but this one this one stings a little bit. This was a, a winnable game that the Jets dropped by a touchdown officially 27-20. It feels a little farther apart than that because I know they got that field goal really right at the very end. But this was a game, until the end, it really never felt like the Jets were out of it, if that makes sense. Yeah, when they were down 17 nothing, I was low-key like, okay, if Atlanta scores one more touchdown, we got this thing, guys. This is in the bag. Um, <laughs> it ending up being a touchdown differential is actually surprising considering how poorly they played in the first half. But I think, you know, we're going to get into the specific things of what happened in the game, but I think that would be my main takeaway from uh, from this and also from pretty much every game they've played except the Denver game, that this team does hang around. You know, the Carolina game, they they cut it to a one-score game late. The Pats thing was tough because of all the interceptions, but the defense really kept them in it. The Titans, obviously, they hung around and won the game. And this one, they kind of came back. So, you know, for a young team, it's good to see that they got some fight in them. I said on the podcast last time that the one thing that they can't do is have Atlanta jump out to a big lead, and that's exactly what happened in the first quarter. So disappointing, uh, but there's still glimmers of hope that so that they can be dashed, you know? I thought maybe it was like, oh, is this just really smart coaching by Rob Sala to just spot Atlanta 17 points? It's like, all right, we're, we're definitely going to win now. Just goat them into one of those classic Falcons losses. But, yeah, I mean, they, I mean that's the story of this game, right? The first quarter, they just dug themselves too big of a hole. And they were just never really able to crawl out of it. I think this game kind of got off to a weird start on the Falcons' very first drive when you had that garbage call against Quincy Williams, that roughing the passer, where the Falcons ended up getting three points. In your unbiased opinion, Kevin, (laughs) is there any universe where that is a rough in the passer? Absolutely not. And I think we talked about in the Patriots game where there was that call early on on the fumble, or what should have been a fumble, but they they ruled it the forward progress thing, and so you can't review it, and da-da-da. And I said the same thing about that that I feel about this, which is like, you know, little things like that early on in the game I think can really affect the momentum. I mean, it's it's maybe a stereotypical sportscaster thing to say, but it's true, you know? And I think... uh, that was a terrible call. Even though they did keep them out of the end zone, which is good, you know, for early on in the game, it was just, uh, yeah, that was that was pretty debilitating right off the bat. This team does not need <laughs> the the refs to be against them too. There's already a lot of things going going wrong, particularly early on in these games. That was a horrible call, and you know what 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 can you do? the The biggest thing, honestly, with the first quarter is that they they can't move the ball at all 
it's really frustrating. Also, I wanted to throw out there, this is kind of a minor thing, but I wasn't really a fan of the fact that they won the toss and then deferred. I, I really would have liked to have the ball on the first possession. I mean, even if they did, did go three and out, I didn't like that decision, really. I, I thought that was... That was weird. I don't know how you felt about that. Uh, I mean, on the whole, I'm kind of a defer guy. I like getting the ball to start the second half if it's me. But in the London game, I could see that argument, right? You want to get off to a little bit of a hot start, neutral field. Yeah, I could I could see it either way. But I'm a defer guy, and the Jets' defense has definitely been the stronger unit this year. So I don't mind that decision too much. You know, maybe there's something to be said for, like you're saying, trusting your defense and stuff. But I don't know. The main problem is that they can't play offense at all in the first quarter and I think I saw something today that they are averaging one first down in first quarters which is just crazy coming off of the Titans game I think everybody was pretty high on on Wilson's play in that game there were things here and there that we didn't like that we talked about last time but to see him struggle this badly in all of these first quarters is really alarming. And I think it's honestly like their slow offensive starts in these first halves really are affecting the way the rest of the game goes. So, you know, in a game like this, like I said, you, the one thing I feel like they really couldn't afford was having Atlanta jump out to this big of a lead early on. And it's beyond just sort of a, well, you know, it's a young team, da da da. This is really, really bad. They're starting these games really terribly offensively. And particularly when you're playing teams that are better than the Falcons, that's going to be a nightmare if they, if they can't turn that around. Yeah, and let's go back to the beginning of this game, because that's really where most of the action happened for the Falcons. So you've got, as we talked about, that first drive kind of kept alive by the bad Quincy Williams roughing the passer call. Falcons end up getting a field goal. But I think more importantly than getting those three points, it made the Jets' defense stay on the field a really long time. The Jets don't get the ball in the first quarter till there's about eight minutes left or so, I believe. And this is something that we were texting back and forth during the game. There was a third and two on the Jets' first possession, Zach makes a great play initially just getting the snap. It was a shotgun snap that bounced to him. He fielded it like a shortstop just to stay with it was impressive enough. He feels the pressure coming on third down. There was a Falcons blitz. He feels that pressure, rolls out to his left, and there's nobody in front of him. There's nobody within maybe 10 yards of Zach. He could have picked up five, six yards easily on third and two, and instead he tries to force a pass to Jamison Crowder along the sideline. It's a catch Jamison, to be fair, probably makes eight out of ten times, but he doesn't make this one. He can't hang on to the ball, and they have to punt immediately. It's a three and out. It's been a little bit one step forward, two steps back with Zach, I feel like, this year. He has a good game. He has a really bad game. He has a good game. These are the types of decisions that you expect from a rookie, but they're also the types of decisions that lose you games. I mean, just have the awareness to know, hey, there's nobody in front of me. It's only third and two. All I've got to do is fall forward and to keep this drive alive, to not try to make a bigger play. Take the easy play. You don't have to always make the flashy play. Some positives in the first half from this defense. Uh, the Falcons, at one point, they're already up 17 nothing, and they're in the red zone looking for more when C.J. Mosley forces a fumble. And I thought at that point, even down by 17 points, you could feel the momentum shifting a little bit. Yeah, the takeaways, the the two fumbles, that's a good sign because I think as well as the defense has been playing in the first four weeks, did they even have one takeaway before this game? I can't even... So the Jets are the only team in the NFL with zero interceptions on the season. Turnovers, as well as this unit has played, have been extremely hard to come by, and it's really hard to win in the NFL when you're losing the turnover margin every single week. 
I'm not any kind of uh, defensive uh, strategy expert. I, I, I'm, that's that's going to be the caveat to this next statement. But I'm pretty disappointed by the fact that a team that had similar to the Titans thing, they had you know they didn't have Ridley out there, and I just don't understand how Kyle Pitts was able to do what he did. I understand that he's a great player and a great prospect, but man, they just they just couldn't stop him at all. And and between him and Cordell Patterson, uh, it just felt like they had no answer. The Kyle Pitts thing, man, it was just like every single play. It seemed like he was open or he was able to just make plays on this defense. And that was really disappointing to me because, you know, go, finding out the news that, that like Ridley wasn't even going on the flight and all that stuff or whatever, I, I just thought, man, you know, it, it... You thought they'd have a better game plan for Kyle Pitts. Yeah. It's a, another one of those things where you don't have, there's not a ton of tape on him in the NFL, right? I mean, it's these four games that frankly he hadn't really done that much before this game, so... That could be part of it, um, but I really thought that uh, this was a classic case of Jim, uh, the Jets just kind of shooting themselves in the foot with that. I guess I'm I'm pretty down on the defense in this game, even with the takeaways. There's still some some of that like Robert Sala energy going on, but you can't blame them being on the field too long on the first drive. <laughs> you have to come out and get stops uh, early on, and they weren't able to do it. Totally the exact uh, opposite thing of what of what we were hoping was going to happen in this game, where it's like, well, if they can you know, keep it to maybe a couple field goals here and there, and then Zach gets some nice plays. Maybe they get a momentum. Maybe they can get a lead. And instead they're playing, you know, they're coming out of a hole. Let's take a quick break, and we're going to talk about this performance from Zach Wilson. You know, it's funny doing these things after each game in a way, because like you're saying, with the, that's a good good point about the kind of one steps forward, two step back thing with him. Yeah, he he didn't run for that first down that he should have had, and he's he's missing wide open guys. You know, he's missing wide open guys in the flat. It's a funny thing, right? Because to see the flashes of the big play, big playmaker Zach that we got in the Tennessee game, you go, well, hey, like we were saying last week, if he can make those kind of plays, he can cover up for for missing some of these uh, routine plays, but. I don't know what to think. I don't know if I'm supposed to think, well, that's something that's just going to get better over time. He's just going to get more relaxed and he's going to be able to make those plays. But right now he is missing just really easy, wide open plays. And I and I feel like I don't know that the Falcons played particularly great defense in this game. It's disappointing because in this game, a lot like the Patriots game, you really can just, you really have to blame Zach for this loss I think just in terms of you know just missing these routine plays and not being able to get first downs and not being able to yeah like you say use his legs to get first downs not just to scramble out or to try to find a guy really far downfield just get that first down just do something to move the ball forward and it doesn't have to be it can be the check down guy it can be whatever so it's funny like the pendulum has now swung back to he's got to play more you know uh, he's got to play more boring football and he's just not able to do it right now. Or he's he's either not able to do it or he's just not executing. I, I don't know which. Yeah, it, and that's such a good point. And Zach really is struggling with the easy ones. I mean, like you said, how many first downs is he going to cost them by just missing these open guys on these these simple out routes, these simple routes in the flat? Even the balls that he's connecting on, the receiver always has to twist a little bit. It's always a little behind them. Yeah. But then he's also throwing like that beautiful deep ball. So, I mean... I don't know if it's because I'm surrounded by Bills fans in my life. I feel like I bring up Josh Allen every week when we talk about Wilson. But <laughs> these are the exact criticisms you were hearing 
about Josh Allen two seasons ago. He's throwing rainbow deep balls. He looks great. He looks athletic, but all, he can't he can't hit easy throws. What's this guy's problem? And with Josh, it was a mechanics thing. It was a footwork thing. It was an arm slot thing that he fixed. So I feel like these are the kinds of things that we'll have to work out with Zach probably over the this season and maybe even the next season. I feel like he's got to get his footwork right. He's got to find that consistent arm slot that he likes. He's got to stop staring wide receivers down. And once he can figure out how to make the boring play, make the easy play, I think the sky is really the limit for this kid. We saw a little bit more inexperience from Zach towards the end of the game when he he's trying to lead a double-digit comeback and he takes a sack in the red zone uh, at yes. the worst possible time. It's one of those ones where a veteran quarterback just throws that ball away, lives to see another down. You're really in four-down territory at that point anyway, so it's not even losing the down that hurts you. I mean, he evaded a couple of would-be sacks earlier in that play. He's kind of scrambling around. He's showing some some good fight, but you've got to get rid of that football. You've got to throw it to the ground at worst. You just cannot take a sack there, and that's just something that's going to come with experience. Absolutely, and that was just debilitating because... Um, even though it's a situation where even if you score a touchdown, you still have to onside kick there, man, you really want to at least be something where you're not lining up a giant field goal. And if they had just been able to, even if he had, yeah, thrown it away or, or that was bad. And I'm still willing to give him like a pretty long leash on the, you know, rookie decision making thing and, and, and just, you know, still, uh, young enough in his NFL career where maybe he's thinking like, well, I was able to do some of these things at BYU. I was able to scramble out and do these things. It's like, that's not going to work <laughs> in the pros, and I think he's figuring that out. But um, stuff like that and and some of the missed throws, or, or, you know, stuff like that, like those kind of decision-making things, I'm willing to kind of go play the kind of he's young, rookie, figuring things out card. Missing wide open dudes in the flat is alarming to me, uh, it, just because it, it th- th- that's more alarming to me, I should say. It's strange that you would be able to make some of the throws he made in the Tennessee game and even some of the throws in the in the Panthers game and not be able to hit, was it Jamison Crowder and some of these people who are like, who are open. And I want to say on, I think it was the last drive, there was a situation where he was scrambling. It was kind of just unfortunate because I want to say it was Barrios was open by about 15 yards. down. I mean, he had nobody around him. And those are the kind of things where you go... Part of me thinks, okay, it's going to come with time, and part of me is, like, a little bit alarmed. Like, how is he not seeing that? Yeah, the bust alert is always in the back of your mind, right? When he's missing wide-open guys, you're like, this isn't normal for an NFL quarterback, uh, rookie or not. Uh, so you hope it's just a mechanics thing. That's what you tell yourself so you can sleep at night as a Jets fan, right? And we'll see what we get from him the rest of the season. I, and if I have to see that stat one more time about how many interceptions Peyton Manning threw in his rookie year, just whoever... I implore you, whoever's working that the next Jets, the next, but there's a bye week, but whoever's working the next one, please do not show that. I've seen that way too many times. I don't care. I don't care. No one cares. Yeah, seriously. And by the way, Peyton Manning is responsible for giving us Adam Gay. So I've had just enough about <laughs> Peyton Manning this year we've had enough. For, for a lifetime. We've had enough of all the Manning brothers as Jets fans. We're done with it. Although, I, I guess the Monday night thing is pretty cool. I actually weirdly haven't watched the broadcast, but everybody seems to love it. Yeah, Peyton, I know you're I know you're a Hall of Famer. You're like a charismatic guy. Stay away from my team, all right? <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, and I think they're trying to do it to be encouraging. Like, well, see, you know, I mean, some of the greats have thrown 
uh, thrown a bunch of picks, but I, I we've seen enough of it. It's week five. We've seen the stats. We're good. I'm good on that. I'm good on that stat. I once saw Dan Marino throw an interception. So listen, <laughs> you know, it, it, these things happen. Now who's second? It's Peyton, and then so there's another good quarterback who threw like twenty something. The first, I don't know. It's I, just probably, like, I mean Drew Brees threw a billion of them. I think in his Charger yeah. days. So yeah, but I mean the, the Zach interception. Like you said, I mean, this is one of those plays that that's probably a completion when he's a BYU, right? But in the NFL, these guys can close so quickly. Yeah. That's not open in the NFL. I know it's open in college, but it's just not. And that's the kind of thing when you're a rookie that defenses are going to try to bait you with, right? They're going to play that little off coverage. They'll bait you into the throw and they'll close quickly. Zach's going to have to learn the speed of the game here on the fly. Let's take another quick break. And I want to talk a little bit about the Jets defensively in this game and some of the coaching decisions. So one thing that really stood out to me in this game, you mentioned Kyle Pitts. I think I was a little surprised, not only that they didn't double Kyle Pitts in this game on a lot of these third downs, but they didn't play any man-to-man in this game. If you go back and watch the highlights of this game, the Jets sat in a soft zone pretty much the entire game, which is an odd coaching decision when you factor in that they knew Calvin Ridley wasn't going to play and they knew Russell Gage wasn't going to play, the Falcons' top two wide receivers. So in theory, this should be the Titans' game all over again, right? Just let you know Bryce Hall and Michael Carter the second kind of do their thing and run with these no-names, and the Jets do the opposite. They back off, they play a very soft zone, and they let a veteran quarterback in Matt Ryan kind of sit there, no pressure, and pick apart that zone. The pass rush could have done them a few more favors. I think Matt Ryan had a ton of time in this game, and to be fair... A lot of that credit goes to the Falcons' offensive line. They were actually terrific in this game in pass protection. But if you're not going to get pressure, you've at least got to play tighter coverage. And they just kind of sat back in that two-deep zone and just let Matt Ryan pick them apart. He's a veteran quarterback. He's seen a zone before. I didn't think these receivers had the talent to go out there and beat this underrated secondary one-on-one, and they never really had to. So that was kind of a weird coaching decision, I thought, by Sala in the defense. What do you think? Yeah, I couldn't possibly agree more. I I didn't uh, the doubling pits thing in in particular. I, I, at a certain point, why? What would be the motivation not to do it? You know, I mean, it, it like let them go ahead and beat you with whoever else is left on the bench or you know whoever whoever's out there. I didn't understand that at all. I agree, they were playing super soft, particularly in the first half. I don't know. It's it's strange because I think that we've talked about on this show pretty much every week how we've been pleasantly surprised by the performance of the defense by how fast they are by how good some of these younger players have been playing and yeah this was um this was the first week weirdly where I've been really disappointed by the defense including the Denver game you know because I think like we said in that one it could have been worse it really could have been worse and they were able to make big plays they were able to kind of do the bend but don't break style trying to rip the ball out on every play on defense that travels well and that just goes back to good coaching right there that's what the good teams do that's what the good defenses do if you look back to some of the early 2000s Ravens or some of the recent 49er defenses uh even you know the Patriots and a lot of those early Super Bowl dynasty Tom Brady years what what did all those teams do they tried to rip the ball out on every single play and that's what the good ones do and that's what this team has done week in and week out and that's definitely uh, a credit to Salah. I just wish they would have done less sitting back in zone and tackling after the fact. 
Uh, it's nice to try to rip the ball out, but maybe break up some of those passes instead of trying to just force fumbles every play. Yeah, and and, and on the note on uh, note on the interception thing is that uh, Bryce Hall had one that it had had he been one yard away could have been a pick six late in the game. So it is one of those things, right? I mean, it's it's a game of inches with that kind of stuff, and it's possible we're sitting here talking about like a crazy win based on some pick six thing or whatever. So I don't think the sky is falling defensively in terms of that stuff. Being able to force the fumbles, that was an encouraging sign. And had they not done that, this this would have been more lopsided for sure. Yeah, this is this is the first game, not only like you just said, disappointed in the defense. I'm disappointed in Rob Sala in this game for the first time this year. I don't really put the first three losses of the season on him. I think I do with this one. I just think they made all the wrong calls in the first half defensively, and they didn't really make the adjustments when they came out for the second half. They could have played a lot more man. They could have done a lot more blitzing to make Matt Ryan move his feet, and they didn't do either of those things. I don't know. It just seemed like a lack of adjustments to me, and I I, I put this one on Salah anyway, because like we said at the top, this one hurts more than the game where you play a team, you know, let's say like the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers or even a, even an example like the Denver Broncos, a team who's clearly better than you, you get blown out. It's almost like, okay, we saw this coming and it is what it is. This was such a winnable game. And to see the performance from Zach and to see the, some of the decisions by Salah, I know they're both rookies at their respective positions, but I, I, I kind of put this one on him. Yeah, it's funny because I think when you think about these London games and stuff, a lot of the idea is sort of, well, what's the preparation? We talked about like when they were heading over there and all of that stuff. Obviously, there are things that we're not going to know just watching the game on TV, you know, and not being in the locker room and not, you know, knowing what the what it was like. But it didn't seem like it was something where they were, you know, they were really greatly affected by that part of it or, or like the flying there and the neutral field and all that stuff. It seemed like the main issue was, like you're saying, just actual like defensive strategy, which is so weird because that that's you know the whole point of having Robert Sala as your head coach is that I think Colin said this in the first episode and it was really smart and he was saying well you'd almost prefer to have the defense be the weaker unit if you're going to have a great defensive mind that can kind of coach them you don't want them to be the weaker unit but if they are you can say well we can make up for that with coaching from Sala and I think the first uh, four weeks we saw that it seemed like it seemed like they were they're a really well defensively coached team and fast and able to make plays. But yeah, the soft the soft zone coverage it just never ceased. You know, it was like at a certain point you think, okay, we realize this isn't working. Let's just like you say, put pressure on Ryan, throw everything we can at Pitts, and let them beat us any other way. If it's Patterson, they're running or catching the ball, then that's what it's going to be. And yeah, I, I was, I agree with you. I'm disappointed by the Sala coaching performance. And like I say, I mean, you can't say, well, they, it was because they were on the field so much. I mean, that by the end of the game, that's part of it. But early on, they're, they're making bad defensive plays and possessions early on. Let's take uh, one more break. And then I want to talk about the second half where the Jets actually made this close. <laughs> So as disappointed as I was in the lack of coaching adjustments on defense, it seems the Jets did make some coaching adjustments on offense because they came out much hotter in the second half, sparked by the former Falcon, Tevin Coleman, and that big kick return. Yeah. 
another positive takeaway from this uh, is that Michael Carter, who who's my new favorite, who who's my who's now number one in my Kevin's going to get a jersey rankings. Uh, <laughs> uh, the numbers aren't really backing it up for him, and I think that there are plays where he's running straight into the line, so or losing a couple yards, so that's affecting like the way that his numbers. But from an eye test perspective, I I like him a lot, and I think that that drive um, that you're referring to, I believe it was that drive, had basically all run plays or mostly all run plays. So that's a real positive, not only just getting him going, but also being able to, if we can get a real run game going then there is the possibility of opening up like a play action situation or an RPO situation. And I think that would be really beneficial to Zach to not have him, uh, to not be so much relying on these kind of deep balls. And I think if he, if there was an, if they're able to get the defense on their heels in any way, that would be really beneficial to him going forward. But, um, yeah, they, they played better in the second half in general. And like I said at the top, I, I like the fact that they fought back. There would have been a situation, they went into that locker room, it was 20-3 to 3 at the half. They, it would have been real easy, I think, to go out and just roll over in this game. And they didn't do it. You know, they, they fought back. Um, the defense was able to get to get stops. They were able, like we said, to force the turnovers. That is really encouraging, and and I that I think I will probably p- praise Salah for. I don't know if I don't know if it was some rousing halftime speech or something, <laughs> but whatever it was, I really like seeing that. I think that's a really encouraging sign that for a team this young that they, they're you know getting into habits early on of being in these games, not letting things slip by. I, I, I really appreciated that. And I think, uh, you know, like we said, you look at the score of this game and it's it's a touchdown differential. It felt like more than that watching the game. But, you know, it, it's good that uh, they were able to uh, to, to kind of come back a little bit. Like I say, there's glimmers of hopes that as a Jets fan, we're just expecting to be dashed. But there's, they're still there. We can still hope. Yeah, I mean, a 17-point deficit to the Falcons is what, like a 7-point deficit to any other team? <laughs> that's like a that's like you're winning. Yeah, it's like you're up. Right, it's, it, it's, it's, that's a, just about an even game. So, I mean, like I said, at no point did it feel like the Jets were really out of this game, even when they were down by two or three scores. Uh, like you said about Michael Carter, I couldn't agree more uh, what a bright spot he's been. We knew we were going to get raw speed from Carter, but what I didn't realize we would get is the elusiveness the power and, you know, the pass catching ability. He's an absolute weapon out of the backfield. I didn't know that that's what we were getting in this guy. So I think he's really surpassed our expectations really in, in all facets of the game. I also want to talk about some of the kicking discrepancies in this game. Before we go, uh, you saw Koo hit a 52 yarder at one point, And we saw Matt Amendola miss an extra point off the upright at some point. We've been a pro Matt Amendola podcast so far. Yeah, we've been a pro Matt Amendola podcast, but he's got to be better. He has not had a good season to this point, and it's something that I think really cost the Jets in this game. They left points on the board, and the Falcons didn't. The Falcons hit, I think, a pair. I think they hit a 47 in addition to that 52, and this was only a seven-point game at the end, so it just shows you how important special teams can be. I'm glad that we saw a Denzel Mims sighting in the second half. I'm glad that we saw a deep ball to Elijah Moore. That's the pass interference that you referenced earlier. That was most of the yards for the Jets on that drive. But Elijah Moore was behind the defense. 
They ran right into his back, to be fair. They never gave him much of a chance. But if Zach lays that ball out a little bit more, maybe towards the middle or even the back of the end zone, that might be a touchdown on its own merits Yeah. to Elijah Moore. So I did like uh, how they were able to use him and sort of get behind the defense. I think some of the adjustments they made in the second half offensively, not just more touches from Michael Carter, which is always good, but they think they really spread it out a lot more. They used a lot uh, more multiple receiver formations, and I think that kind of helped Zach get into a rhythm. He was able to find Keelan Cole a couple of times. He was able to find Corey Davis a couple of times. So I, I really like the adjustments at least out of the offense there in the second half. A loss like this just feels deflating because this is maybe one of the ones that could have could have been, you know. I'm not expecting them to beat very good teams, and I don't think that the Falcons are a very good team, particularly with, like, all of their receivers out, you know. So it's disappointing to let one kind of slip away that was at least potentially there, even though it, it never felt like it was really there in this game. But I still think there's positive takeaways, and uh, I still believe in Salah and the defense overall. I think it's just a matter of a couple of things go a different way. The PI call at the beginning, or the, I'm sorry, the roughing the passer call at the beginning goes different. He gets that pick. He ran for that first down or something. There, there's a couple of things where you go, okay, that could have swung it. So, you know, it, it's 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 nice to see them fight back. Yeah. Uh, there's there's some discouraging things, but there's also things that I think, well, it's still a young team, and we're still seeing what we got here. So. Yeah, if you look at Zach not really getting things revved up till the third quarter, this is almost a game where you say, okay, this game is played in week 15 instead of week 5. If he's got 10 more games of NFL reps under his belt, this is probably a game the Jets win. Yeah, possibly. Or if it's played at home. Yep. So, you know, I mean, it's, yeah, it, it's it's one of those. And, and just getting the takeaways on defense at all was a positive sign because I feel like it was surprising to me that they – weren't getting those in games where the defense was that tenacious in the, in some of those early games. So, um, and I don't want to overrate them and say like that the best defense in the league or something like that, but I, I wonder if this is kind of a, a, a teaching moment for, for the def, for the young defense and for Sala as a coach to sort of see like, oh, okay, if we're getting burned by this, by, by this Pitts guy, like on every down, let's maybe shake up as great, you know, as much of a great strategy guy as, as Sala can be. Maybe there is something of a little bit of a stubbornness to, well, this is the way I plan. I drew it up, and and, and we're, this is the way we're doing it, you know? Yeah, it's, it seemed that way, didn't it, when they never really got out of that soft zone? It's almost like, hey, this is the plan. Trust me, it's going to work. It wasn't working, and you're right. Stubbornness is, is the right word for it. So, no game next week. The Jets are on the bye, so we've got no game preview going into next week. But as we approach the bye week, we could look into some possible coaching adjustments that you'd like to see going forward for the rest of the year. I do think that the schedule gets harder, but I think as this team gels a little bit more and as Zach gets a few more reps, I think we could see some positives going into and into the year where, let's be honest, there's really not a whole lot of pressure on this team to win games. It's just about getting better week to week. I know it's coach speak, but uh, in, in the case of the Jets, it's the truth. Yeah, absolutely. I would say also the run defense is something that uh, could definitely be shored up a little bit. I feel like it was, like you said, with the, the Titans game too, like 
well, if they're going to lose, it's good because Henry's going to run all over them, and he kind of did, but they didn't have any other offensive weapons. The Titans didn't, you know? Um, so that that's a thing going forward, I think, too. Yeah, I'd like to see John Franklin Myers do a little bit more in a game where he just got a big contract extension before this game, and for the first time this season, yeah. he was invisible. We didn't see a lot of John Franklin Myers in this game. Matt Ryan had as much time as he wanted to throw the football. Yeah, that was, and it was weird because that was something they were doing so well, particularly in the Titans game. You know they were they were they were all over Tannehill and like all all the time they sacked him seven times they were pressuring the hell out of him. Yeah, where did that go? I I don't know. It was it was strange. It was a strange performance from from uh, Sala from a coaching perspective and and the defense in that way. So yeah, definitely bring that back. Let's <laughs> let's get the pass rush going again. I mean, if you're not going to be able to really stop a team running and they're going to be a little bit you know their their roster is a little bit depleted in the secondary. Let's get the pass rush going, you know? I mean, that's something that they were doing really well. And uh, I want to say maybe we saw, like, a tiny, like, a couple of plays in the second half. But, like, where where, where was the, the team from last week where, where Tannehill couldn't breathe? You know, that was what we needed in this game. Doubling pits and just and just trying to bring, trying to bring some pressure really, I think, w- could have made a pretty big impact. Because I didn't walk away from this game thinking that you know, Matt Ryan played a particularly great game or anything like that. It was just sort of like, like you said, they're, they're just, he's a veteran quarterback. I mean, they're just sitting in a soft zone all game. Like he's going to pick that apart. So that that was strange. That That's something that, uh, that hopefully they can work on. But I actually, weirdly, I like having a bye week for the next week coming off of this game, coming off the London thing. The schedule gets a little harder. And um, like you said, you know, get better week to week. We're not, we're still looking at a three or four win team at most, I think. We talk about the schedule, how it really doesn't get any easier. This was one of the more winnable games they really had left. I mean, if you look past the bye week really quickly, you've got the Patriots on October 24th. I think that's a winnable game just in the sense that the Patriots, I don't think, are that good. Uh, again, I know they beat us pretty handedly. Or Davis Mills is like a great quarterback. Either It's one or the other. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just just look at the game. Like you said that they had against the Texans. They almost lost to Houston, they which really is like unfathomable, did. especially when Tyrod Taylor's not on the field. Um, they tried to I, cost me money, Seth. They tried to cost me money, but it, did, it didn't happen. That they, they couldn't do it. Even, they couldn't even do it. Davis Mills couldn't keep you from winning last week. Um, <laughs> and then Mason yeah. Crosby tried his best too, but neither one of them could pull out the, <laughs> could pull out the victory over me. So I'm, I, I, I won, I won, I won this week. Screw the jets. I, I at least I won. <laughs> I'm rooting for me. That's who I'm rooting <laughs> Greed for. Greed is good people. That's Greed our message today is good. Uh, the Raiders are not, that's what cost me money last week. But, <laughs> but listen, yeah, I mean, I know the Patriots beat us pretty handedly 25 to six the last time we played them. But as we've said a million times in this podcast, I think that was the Jets making some mistakes, doing some things wrong. I don't think the Patriots played a particularly strong game when you consider the final score. And I don't think they've played a particularly strong game all year. I just don't think this team is that good. So the later we get in the year, the better I like our chances against the Patriots. I know McCorkle Jones gets the same opportunities to develop that Zach Wilson does, right? I know they haven't taken taken the training wheels off Mac really, but I don't think that that team is capable of throwing the ball downfield at all. I don't think Mac Jones is a big play quarterback. So I think if the Jets, you know, come in with maybe a little better strategy and get off to a little bit better start, maybe if they actually show up in the first half of one of these games, I think the Patriots game is winnable. I think the Bengals game after that, fairly winnable, less so than the Patriots. I think the Bengals are really one of those teams that are on the upswing, but 
Uh, Joe Burrow's health is a little bit in question. He's got a throat injury going to this week. He's expected to play, but Joe Burrow is one of those guys that's already in his young career developing a reputation for being injury prone. So you don't know what he's going to be looking like health wise going to that game. Plus it's at home for the jets. Uh, you've got the Colts who I don't think are world beaters, probably better than the jets to be fair. But again, that's a third winnable game in a row. Patriots, Bengals, Colts, they could conceivably come out of that stretch two and one. I don't think that's ridiculous. Uh, and then you've got the bills. That's an L the dolphins, another winnable game, the Texans, another winnable game, the Eagles, uh, I mean, I'd count that as another winnable game. <laughs> I don't like them just in a matchup-wise against the Saints. I think that's probably a loss. But again, the Saints, I don't think, are doing anything big this year. The Dolphins again, the Jaguars, and then two losses at the end of the year. It's Bucks bills to finish out the season. But, I mean, how many is that? That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight winnable games between now and the end of the year? I mean, is that insane to think about? Could they steal five of these eight games, go five and three? It's possible. You know, it's possible. I mean, I think um, all the stuff we talked about, they need to shore up. And uh, But, yeah, in terms of the Patriots thing right right off the bat, I mean, they can't block at all, really. So I wouldn't be worried about the, the run attack from them, really, at all. And I don't think McCorkle's that great at throwing downfield, like you said. It's funny with the Bengals thing because, you know, how many years has it been <laughs> watching football where you just see the Bengals on the schedule and go, yes, but then this year they they seem like they, <laughs> they're they at least uh, passable. They're hanging in games with, with, uh, with the Packers and stuff. So right. uh, them, that I might be a little less sure about, but like you said, we don't know Burroughs' health. Um, and it really helps, I think, that the Dolphins are playing so poorly because uh, going into this year I sort of thought between the Bills – and the Dolphins and and the Patriots, honestly, I kind of thought, well, there's you know our automatic six losses or five losses. Um, I, the Dolphins don't look good at all, and the Pats are a beatable team. Clearly, I mean, it's just you know just watching them, you can clearly tell. And one of these two Bills games is a Week 18 game where the Bills will have the division long wrapped up. They might have nothing to play for. We might be playing, you know, Mitchell Trubisky and the and his gang of backups in, in week eighteen. Mitch, Mitch, Mitch. So who who knows even in, in, in that one? And we're facing the Bucks in week seventeen. Maybe they'll have their division wrapped up. So the two good teams, the two right, yeah. real teams the Jets have left to worry about on the rest of the schedule are week seventeen and week eighteen. Yeah. No, that's good. I mean, yeah, it, it's uh, it, it, there are some encouraging signs from this, but I think uh, it does feel like doing this every week. I think each time we've kind of talked about like a specific different problem. The Panthers, it's the offensive line can't play. With the Patriots, it's Wilson throwing the picks. With Denver, everything went wrong. <laughs> With you know, so it's funny doing this every week because it feels like. I'm trying to think of like what the analogy would be, but as soon as you, right when you think that you have everything, you go, okay, well, if they can address this, like coming out of the Panthers game, it's like if they can address the offensive line problems, then they'll be good, you know, and defense played well. And then it's like, well, that's now no longer the problem, but Wilson's missing wide open throws and defensive strategies off or something, you know, each week does feel like there's a slightly new different problem that they're facing with maybe the consistent one, I think being, uh, a pretty lack of ability to stop the run and also and also like some of the Wilson mistakes. But I'm still weirdly optimistic going forward that I think between Sala's uh, defensive strategy, if that gets shored up from this week going forward, I think I trust him in that way. I think if Wilson can start making better routine plays 
if they can start moving the ball early on, that that that's really the biggest. I guess that's I should say that's the most consistent problem with the team week to week is just a total inability to move the ball in the first and second quarter. Um, if they can get that going, and if the defense can step up like they had been in the in the weeks prior to this Falcons game. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that there's winnable games on the schedule. And I have to say, more so than I thought going into the year, I thought, well, this is, I, and we talked about it in that first one, I think, but, you know, I just thought, well, this is a situation where they're going to be getting beat by 30 points every game, so let's just have Wilson just go out there and throw. And that's not what's happening. You know, it's it's been, even when they fall down, like, you know, fall down big uh, in a game like this, they can still seemingly fight back. The defense seems like it can get stops at key moments. And so... I don't know. You know, I, I think that there's some winnable games on the schedule, man. But then again, we've been disappointed before. It's safe to say. We've been let down before. We've seen this movie before, and we're kind of dreading where what could possibly be the ending. But I'm not. I'm. I'm still not pushing the panic button. And yeah, I mean, they're a three win team. They're a three or four win team. What? Who are we kidding? You know, I mean, it's like if th- this one sucks because they could have won it, but you know, they're one and four. They they already got a win. It's like you know, I don't know. If they win one out of every five games. You know, they are, they are who we thought they were. <laughs> they are who we thought they were. Well, no game next week, so... Try to get a, through your week without just end the show. It's going to be tough for a lot of people out there. It might be tough for us. We have no coping mechanism. But we also have no loss to worry about, so there's always a silver lining. We'll see you for Patriots Week Enjoy the rest of the games this Sunday, everybody. Kevin, take us out. Just end the show. Just end the show.